everyone. Welcome to Sabbath School Gems, where each week we showcase key concepts from this week's Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School lesson. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sabbath School Gems. This is Lesson 2 for the fourth quarter for Sabbath, October 9, 2021, and it's titled Moses' History Lesson, and it's from the quarterly Present Truth in Deuteronomy. Now, the lesson quarterly starts with a quote from Ellen White, and this quote is, We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. And this is from Life Sketches. And she's actually not talking about Deuteronomy. She's not talking about the Exodus. Um, she's actually talking about the publishing work and the ministry that, that they were doing. And she didn't want people to get discouraged and to press on because look at how much God has really been leading us. And, you know, so even though she wasn't really talking about Deuteronomy or Exodus, I think it's, it's still an important point to make that we really should be looking at these words, especially in Deuteronomy, because it's a reiteration of what was written down in Exodus. So it's repeating it because it's so important. And the children of Israel, as they came out of Egypt, were forgetful. They we're not even remembering the miracles that God worked just weeks before. So it is an important point. What I'm going to do in this Sabbath School is a little bit different. Um, this podcast we call Sabbath School Gems, and it's because we're picking gems out of the Sabbath School lesson. And sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. We have to dig a little harder for the gems. Sometimes they're just right on the surface. And what I mean by that is that sometimes the lesson will bring out a topic or a text, but it doesn't completely explain them. For example, this lesson study, at least for this week, um, it looks like we're going to have to dig a little deeper for the gems, for the concepts. So just to make it a little simpler for those that are trying to follow through the lesson study, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in order and go day by day and just show you the gems that I was able to pull out, which are different in a way than, than what the lesson brings out. But hopefully this will just add to the lesson for this week. So we're going to start with Sunday's lesson. And it brings up the fact the, that Moses intercedes for the people. And let's just read that passage in Exodus 32. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as this man Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So they wanted to, to make a substitute for Moses. He was gone, and they didn't have anyone to be an intermediate for them, for God. So what does Aaron do? He has them all break up their golden earrings, and he puts it into, um, melts it all together, and out jumps this golden calf, at least that's their recollection of it, and so what's happening is Moses is on the mountain, and the Lord sees what's going on down below the mountain, and he says to Moses, and I'm reading in Exodus 32, verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Uh, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. 
I, I kind of like how this says, you know, the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. I think at this point, neither Moses nor the Lord want to acknowledge these people as their own. So anyway, um, so what happens? So Moses pleads with the Lord and he actually ends up, he's mad too. When he comes down, he says in verse 19, so it's, it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses's anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. So he was so mad, he broke those tables, just threw them down the tables of stone that God had written with his own finger. And now it's, now I'm reading from verse 30. It says, now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. So the lesson brings out and says that Moses was interceding for the people, that his love was so great for them that he's saying, God, if you can't forgive them, then just blot me out of your book. And that's not entirely accurate. I think if you look at this text, you'll see what is going on with Moses. What is he actually willing to give up his life? And it sounds almost like his eternal life. When, it, when he's talking about blotting me out of your book, I think that's even giving up his eternal life for it. So what is so great? Now he's mad at these people. The lesson says that he's interceding for them. But if you look, you'll see very carefully, he's not interceding for those people. If you go back in that same chapter, Exodus 32, verse 12 and 13, the answer is right there. It says, Moses pleaded with the Lord and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Now he's calling them your people. <laughs> God's calling it your people and Moses is calling it your people. But no, verse 12, it says, why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. You see that? It says, why should the Egyptians speak? So Moses is not willing to give up his life for the people. He's willing to give up his life for God's reputation, for God's name, for his sake. Remember, these people were called out. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What worse witness could you be? What kind of a priest are you and a witness to God when you are supposed to be following God? And this is the example, and you're so bad that God wipes you out. What kind of example is that going to set to all the nations that were around? What was that going to do to God's name? That is what Moses is willing to die for and give up his life for. And you see, there's something else in verse 13, right? The next verse, it says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, 
I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. Now see, that is the covenant. That was the covenant promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and that God was going to multiply their descendants, and they, they were going to be brought into this promised land. So that's another thing that Moses is willing to die for. He doesn't want to give up that covenant. He knows the value of that. That is a treasure. God gave him this covenant promise that he wants to be a God to them. And he wants to give them this promised land, this wonderful thing with these multiple descendants and this promised land vision that is so beautiful. It goes way beyond earthly you know, possession of land. And that is what Moses also did not want to forfeit. He did not want to lose that covenant promise. So see, these are the things that Moses was willing to give up his life, maybe even his eternal life for. God's name, God's reputation, God's character, and also this covenant promise. So it's a lesson for us because we can see what extent are we willing to give up our life or our future life. Moses was a true servant, a true soldier servant. I mean, here he had the bigger picture involved, and he just did not want to give that up with even the things that were going on, which were just terrible that were going on around him. So, you know, he, God's response to him, God responds, he who sinned against me, I'll blot him out. And when I visit the day I visit them for punish, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. And he did. I mean, first of all, immediately when Moses came down from the mountain, he called the Levites to him where he, s he said, who's on God's side? And all the Levites went to him. And then they kind of went through the camp and purged. I think there was like 3,000 men or something that died that day. So they purged a lot of them out. But, you know, this whole episode, this episode of this golden calf, as well as the even the purging of the people. Um, it's all this blemish, this stain, this sin that was just upon them. They were just, they were defiled by this. And they really did need God to extend that pardon. Um, so we can see that that's what was happening there. And, you know, uh, those people that reject God's covenant they don't end up going into the promised land. He will visit their punishment upon them, and that's what happened. They did not get to go into the, pro the promised land, and some of them lost that their life that day. Okay, let's go on to Monday's lesson, because that's also an interesting lesson that has us digging pretty, pretty deeply for some gems. So it's talking about the fulfilled prophecy in the 40 years. They wandered 40 years. Remember, they got to the borders of the promised land. They were just ready to go in. They sent these spies in. The, the spies came back, and some of the spies said, it's great. Let's go. And remember, two of them, actually. And then the other one said, no, it's scary. There's big people there. It's giants in the land, and it's, it's too much for us. Okay. So then they ended up wandering for 40 years. And the Bible says, they, the 40 years that they were left to wander in the wilderness was one year for every day that they 
spied out the land. So when the spies went into the land, they were there for 40 days, kind of checking the place out. And so now, at the end, they're going to be wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Really, that 40 years was like a generation because none of the people that went in to spy out the land ended up going to the promised land. That generation kind of got wiped out except for, except for Joshua and Caleb. So let's read that because I think it's really important to understand why they didn't get to go into the promised land. It was their faithlessness. And we can read that in Numbers 14, 33. Well, I'll just read that whole passage. It says, And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days for each day, you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do this do so to all this evil con- congregation who has gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land, they died by the plague before the Lord. So they just died right there. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. So we can see that it says because of their unfaithfulness, that is why they they didn't trust. They didn't trust God. And let's see how they were deceived. What was going on there? Well, first of all, just so you recollect, there was 12 spies that went into the land. There was one spy for every tribe. So now Caleb was from the tribe of Judah and Joshua, it doesn't actually say when you look in Numbers 13, it lists all the tribes, but it's missing Levi, the tribe of Levi. And then it has a name for everybody and then it mentions Joshua. So we can assume from here there might be some other place in the Bible. I don't know if there is or not. If you know of it, please send it to me. But I think it's you can infer from this because Joshua is the only one that doesn't have a tribe associated with him and the tribe of Levi is the only tribe that's left out. So I'm guessing that Joshua is from the tribe of Levi and Judah, I mean the tribe of Judah is Caleb. So those two, two men out of 12, there was 12 total, um, those are the only ones that gave the good report. And let's go read the two reports because there was two Reports that were brought, and that's in Numbers 13, 30, and 31. So it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. So you see, they had two reports. They had the report from Caleb. And they had the report, and Joshua and Caleb were kind of together on this. And then they had the report from the other men. So two of them were saying, let's go up at once. we got to take it. And you can see how probably they were going through the land, and they were probably just saying, wow, this is a wonderful land. Wow, God's going to give us this. Wow. And they were just getting the strength and just the, you know, wow, we're going to come in. And, and, and they were so pumped up from it. And you, you, you see that because you see the letdown later. But then the other leaders, they were probably going through and going, oh, no, look at these 
giants and look at all this stuff and and there's no way we can take this and they were probably just feeding into their doubt the whole time so they come down and they give these two reports why did the people take the wrong report why did they believe the false the false report were they deceived were they they chose to believe the other men and not Caleb and Joshua was it because there was they were more numerous maybe Maybe it's like, well, it's kind of like, well, more people believe this than the rest. Or was it something to do with how they were already situated not to trust God? You recall that they said to Moses when he was going to go up the mountain, they said, you go near, you go and hear all that the Lord God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. Why did they say why did they tell Moses to go up there? Because they already were not trusting. They were not trusting God from the very beginning. And I could read in that. That's in Deuteronomy 5. And, th and I'll just read from verse 23. It says, So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. You wonder if it's the, the same heads that went in. And you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. Look at what they said. They forgot just a second ago. They said, we've seen all this, that God is speaking with us and man is living. We're living and God is speaking with us. But then that doesn't fuel their, their faith. Then the next sentence it says, now go up because we're going to die. This, this fire is going to consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord anymore, we're going to die. And it says, for who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of fire as we have and lived? So they say to Moses, they say, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God has to say and tell us that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. So you can see how they, from the very beginning, they, they saw everything that was happening. They saw that they weren't dying, but they were afraid. They were afraid they were going to die. They loved their life more than they were seeing this bigger picture about God's deliverance to them. And they said, you go, Moses, you go and hear everything. They're already distancing themselves from God. And then it says, then the Lord heard the voice of your words. This is Moses speaking. When you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of these people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all they have spoken. He knows that they do not want to sanctify themselves. God knows that if they don't sanctify themselves, they will perish because you can't stand in the presence of the holy god that's why he said don't even let them come near the mountain and they were starting to come near the mountain and moses had to get down because they would perish god doesn't want them to perish okay he wants us to have a choice but if we don't choose him we are going to perish but he doesn't want us to just he's not just going to kill all of us right away as soon as we make that choice he's going to give us this life but he knows that they're not ready to sanctify themselves so he he says it's, it's right what they've spoken because God knows their heart and he knows they're not going to sanctify themselves and they will perish. So he's like, they're right. 
And it says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Go and say to them, return to your tent. You hear the disappointment in God's voice right here? He says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments. This to me sounds like God is really disappointed. He knows they don't want to sanctify themselves. He knows they don't want to come and hear his voice directly. That he ha- they, they want Moses to go up before him because they're so afraid. They're distancing themselves. God is saying, yeah, you know, if they don't want to consecrate themselves, they don't want this relationship, they are going to perish. So they're right. But oh, that they had such a heart in them. If they just had that heart, that they would fear God and keep all his commandments, that it might be well with them and their children forever. So you can see how the disappointment that God has, that they they don't want to enter that covenant relationship. And so that is the reason why they believe the false report. Because all along they're questioning God. They're not getting stronger in their faith like Joshua and Caleb were. They're actually getting weaker in their faith. That is why they they don't want to go and possess the land. And that's what happens. If we don't have faith in God, if we don't trust in God, and we don't want to be part of that covenant relationship, we won't be able to go into the promised land. And you know, another thing is that God never intended for this. He wanted them all to embrace the covenant. And this brings us to the concept of the new covenant. I described this, I believe, in the very first podcast of Gems. I think it was two quarters ago. Um, I think it was the very first one I did is the covenant. So you might want to go back and listen to that one to get familiar with what is the new covenant. And because that's important here, because God says, and this is Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. See, he wanted to make the covenant with them, but they didn't want it. They rejected it. He was doing everything for them. He was like a husband. He was like a father. He was taking them out of the bondage and he was doing everything, working all these miracles, but they rejected him. So he says, this is the covenant that I'm going to make after make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So see the difference in the new covenant and old covenant. It's the same covenant. God is going to take those tables of stone. He's going to write them over and over and over again. And Moses didn't want him to not to do away with that covenant. But God wants that covenant. And he's going to get it. And the difference between the new and the old covenant is that the new covenant is a reaction of the people with the new covenant. They're not going to say, we need a golden calf. We need Moses to go up to the mountain. No, Moses is not coming. We need to. They're going to accept it. They're going to let God write their his law in their minds and on their hearts. And if they had his law in their minds, in their hearts, they would have known uh, what what to do when this when the reports came back they will know what to do because they'll be hearing God and listening to him just like Moses was just like Joshua was just like Caleb were they were hearing the voice of God and they were listening to him 
And that's what he wants. He wants that for his covenant people. And not only that, but he wants his spirit on all flesh. And he wants it, all of us to, you know, it, just the next verse in Jeremiah there, 31, 34, it says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. He wants everyone to know him. He doesn't necessarily want this kingdom of priests and a holy nation and then all this rest of the people. He wants everyone in his kingdom, everyone in his new earth, everyone in this promised land to know him and to trust him and to be his people. And that's what we can read in Joel. It says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men's servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heaven and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. So he's talking about pouring out his spirit on all flesh, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So see here, God, everyone who is willing to enter into that covenant relationship, they are the ones that are going to be saved. He's going to have deliverance for them. He offers the cleansing that we need to be able to come into his presence. He's going to offer that, and he's going to deliver us out of this bondage, this land of sin that we live in and he's going to protect us so and that's extended to everybody so that is the reason why joshua and caleb were not believed and the people believed so that's another lesson for us is we need and should be getting close to god and then we will have that discernment we'll be able to say you know there's only two that are telling us one way and there's 10 that are telling us the opposite way which who is true who is speaking the truth and if we are with God if he is writing his laws in our heart we will be able to have that discernment that they didn't have now I'm going to skip Wednesday because Wednesday is talking about the reaction to the spies which we just covered and we're going to go to Thursday and Thursday and Friday's lesson are really on the same topic and it seems that the lesson author is very perplexed with this idea of the lands that the children of Israel went in to possess, that they were to wipe out the people, including often the women and the children. And uh, I'll just read one of the examples in Deuteronomy 2.32. It says, And Sihon and all his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz, and the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, his sons and all his people. We took all his cities at that time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and little ones of every city. We left none remaining. We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves, with the spoil of the cities which we took. And I think the author really has concern over this, and the question would come up is, why is God wiping out all these people? He's a God of love, and... You know, and, you know, sometimes even they were not to take the livestock. Sometimes they were, you know, to kill everyone. Um, and so this is very disturbing. And I will just give my opinion about this. Now, this is just my opinion. This is not necessarily a gems. 
but you know none of us can know God and the, the, the lesson author does bring this out that it's important for us to trust even if we don't understand things it is important I do believe that God wants to reason with us he wants us to understand it's not that he wants us to just be these blind people well I believe it that's it um, he does want us to understand but then we are not going to understand everything and so and we can't know God's motives but this is my opinion about this about you know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah what even happened the timeliness of bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and my take on this is that God is a God of freedom he's a God of freedom and he's a God of choice and he really does want to give us a choice between choosing him and not choosing him as hurtful as that is to him he would like us all to choose him but really he wants to give us that choice and Satan is always trying to take that choice away he's always trying to deceive us so that we don't really see the choice really well and that we make the wrong choice because if we see it as black and white it's pretty obvious people I mean God built into us the desire to live and to be happy and so if we see it in that context it's going to be easy for us to choose but Satan is trying to make it confusing and he's trying to make it so it's not that easy and it's not even that is that that it's an easy choice or not but some of us will choose not to want to be part of God's kingdom for whatever reason you know usually it's because we love self or we want self-exalted or because like I said Satan deceives us and we want to be deceived but I think God really wants us to be free and he wants us to have a choice and so I think when it comes to these nations where they were to wipe everyone out even the children you say the children are innocent or sometimes the animals you know what what did the animals do well I believe that it, when it gets to the point and we know none of us can know what point God has so this is just my take on it but when it gets to a point where the people can no longer choose you know in Nineveh the people were almost to the brink of that they were they didn't know their right from their left they were really that confused so when Jonah went to Nineveh those people were at the brink of I think the point where okay God is going to wipe them out or he can bring them some knowledge and then maybe they'll see and then maybe they'll be able to see enough that they'll be able to choose but if they didn't see and they didn't want to choose they really were in a bad state I believe and I think these other nations are in that state I think when it comes to the point where even the children are in such an environment that they can't even see good and evil you know some children they don't have good parents but they can sometimes get by they can sometimes find an uncle or a mentor or a teacher or someone <coughs> that can be um, an example to them of love and can be a father figure to them but you know not everyone may have that and I think when it comes to the point where the city is so corrupt that even the children don't have that choice anymore they just are not able to even 
see clearly enough, I think that's when God steps in. And I think there's other things with regard to the animals. There may be some genetic things or, or things that, that are serious enough or diseases that have gotten out of hand that are serious enough to warrant their destruction. Sometimes not. Sometimes they were to destroy all the trees. It was probably a point where there was either insects or disease or pestilence or, or just genetic defects that had just gotten out of hand. And that was a destruction, the reason to destroy those. But I think as far as this goes, I mean, we do have to trust in God. But I do think that he wants us all to have that choice. And there is a point where the corruption becomes so pervasive that it is going to rob even the children. And, you know, I think we need to do everything possible to undo Satan's deceptions and his lies so that as many people can be saved as possible. And so we don't have this situation where God has to step in and just destroy the whole city. Now, you know, he won't destroy it if there's 10 people. He won't destroy it if there's one. He pulled Lot out by his hand. So he doesn't want to destroy. That is so true. But if there's no hope, then those people are destroyed anyway. So that's my take on it. And I'm just going to leave it there, just some food for thought. And if you have any comments, please let us know. I mean, we're still starting out this podcast. So if you have any input to this lesson so far or any feedback on the podcast itself, just let me know. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sabbath School Gems. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word to others. Comments and questions can be sent to us at sabbathschoolgems at gmail.com. Bye for now. <laughs>